Hey guys. Hey, it's good to see you all. Hey friends, I'm excited uh, to be able to get into God's Word with you tonight. Now, before we do that, I want, uh, one, thank you Haley for doing worship this week. Uh, it was just really a kindness from her. She was just at the worship practice. She was like, listen, I know that weeks have been crazy. Uh, like, I just want to take it this week. So that was really kind of her. Uh, and then it's also always just good to be able to worship. Uh, so here's some setup. Here's some context. So we are in, we're going to be in Isaiah. My section is Isaiah chapter 21, 22, and 23. I'm going to be spending a lot of time in 21 and 22. Uh, is that we find ourselves in an interesting place. So just prior to this, chapter 20, Isaiah's been stark naked for three years. Uh, and we end my section in 23 with Isaiah singing a song about a prostitute. So we're in the middle of that. now. So if you read this, and I would be honestly impressed if you read this. When I read it for the first time, so Caleb asked me, he's like, hey, can you do a message on this date? And I just said yes before looking at the passage. And I realized why he asked me to do one of this date. Because I read it and I was like, what the heck <laughs> is happening here? Uh, and if you're like me, sometimes when you read the Old Testament prophets, that is something consistently that happens. So tonight, I want us to kind of, let me give us an analogy. I want to help us better understand the prophets. I want to be helpful. How many of you have seen like a living room where there are like a few steps to walk down into the living room, right? For me, it was like, almost. I feel like every house my grandparent ever owned, that was the setup. I think that was a requirement. Uh, but tonight, we're going to imagine that Isaiah is sitting down in the living room, fully clothed uh, at this point for our sakes. And we need to take a few steps before we can have a face-to-face -face conversation with him. So here are the steps that I'm going to want us to take tonight. Uh, the first one that we are going to take is I want us to kind of have an understanding of how do we read the Old Testament prophets? How do we read the Old Testament prophets? We'll look over that. We'll consider it. I'll give us some just general tips for what do we do when we come across these things in our reading plan. Uh, the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to practice that in Isaiah. So we're going to take what we learned and use it. And I'm literally going to give you all like a group assignment in the middle of this where you're going to practice what we learn. And don't worry, we'll be okay. So that's going to be our second step. We're going to get a little bit closer down to Isaiah. We're going to see who was he talking to? What was the message that he's trying to proclaim? And then we're going to, we're going to go down into the living room. We're going to sit down with Isaiah. And we're going to see what is he saying now to us. Uh, with that in mind, I do want to kind of give my main thesis for tonight. And if you're a note taker, there are going to be a few useful things. You can take notes. Uh, you can't. That's fine. This will be on the podcast at some point. My main thesis is, will you trust God or turn from Him? Will you trust God or will you turn from Him? Um, so, I am going to pray very briefly before I start, and then we'll start to dive in. Father, thank you for my friends, and thank you for your word. Thank you for where it has challenged me. Lord, start with me. Lord, lift up the things that you would have to say through me and cast from the memory of those who are here tonight uh, what you do not want remembered, what is not in accordance with your will or purpose. Father, we get to look at these things 
with the lens of Christ and his finished work, but would we remember the tension and the hope that Isaiah is pushing towards as we read. Thank you for your word, and thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hi, friends. So one of my aims for tonight is to be helpful. Uh, Francis Grimke was a pastor of 15th Street Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. from 1878 until 1928. That's a long time if you're like me from Kentucky and not good at math. Uh, so almost four, after almost 40 years of preaching and ministering to the single congregation, he began to write down his reflections on ministry. Uh, on his desires for his teaching or preaching, he said this, I have never had any desire to preach what are called great sermons, sermons which display learning or ability, uh, which are relished particularly by the highly educated members of the congregation. But I have desired and have sought to preach helpful sermons, sermons that meet the real needs of the human heart in the midst of life's trials, struggles, temptations, and sorrows. So friends, that is, uh, with that in my mind, that is my hope for tonight. Uh, That is why I want to try and equip us with things that you can leave here with and use in your regular devotional time. Uh, So I want you to be equipped as we go into Isaiah to read other prophets in the Old Testament instead of skipping them when you get to them in your reading plan or being radically confused. But then, listen, you'll probably still be a little bit confused, but this will at least give you some things to hold on to. Uh, So... Along with the reading, yes, I gave you a little handout. You're like, Nick, what in the world is this? Don't worry, we're going to go over it line for line. No, we're not going to go over it line for line, I promise. Uh, I don't even have mine up here with me, but that's okay. I think I have it memorized for the most part. I'll get it if I need it. Uh, But that's just going to be, like, we're not going all the way through that. That is for your help. Uh, That's something that I would encourage you to take back with you. So let's start with the first step. So three things that are going to help us greatly in our reading of the prophets are to recall God's expectations uh, for the people of Israel, to understand the history and who were the prophets talking to and at what time, and then we need to consider literary structure. Uh, How is their message arranged? All right, let's recall God's expectations. We need to remember that the role of a prophet is not primarily... That of telling the future. I know sometimes we think of like Ganondorf or like some sort of a wizard and they're looking in their crystal ball and they're like, here's what's going to happen. Does that happen? Yes, God is outside of time. But they are, most, they are mostly wanting to represent the voice of God to his people, reminding the people of Israel of their covenant promise with him. Now listen, I know, I know what you're thinking right now. Not because I'm a prophet, but you know, just I know what you're thinking. But Nick... The ancient Israelites were shining examples of faithfulness to God and His Word. I was hoping there are two chuckles because was that the case? No, they sucked, uh, and they're to reflect us a little bit. So if you know anything about the Old Testament, you're not thinking that. So when key word is when the people of Israel did break their end of the covenant, God would send a prophet to point out their sins, to call them to repentance to warn them of the coming judgment should they not turn from their wickedness. However, as we will see in Isaiah, the Lord also foretells restoration, both in an immediate future to those the prophet would speak to, as well as an ultimate future. 
It's important to note. So I'm going to have some equipping points in this first little thing. So the first important thing for us to note is that the prophets of the Old Testament assume that you pretty much have the Old Testament law memorized. How many of you are like, well, good to know. I'm going to go sit down and just, I'm just going to eat up some Leviticus. None of you. Uh, that would be like, that's a little weird. That's a little odd. I mean, you can go for it. Godspeed. It will help as you read the prophets. Uh, but here's, here's an equipping point. Here's something you can do. Take a little time and just look into Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 will give you some good context. We're going to look at this a little bit later. Spoiler alert. So just look in there. Take some time to look there. That'll give you an idea of what, okay, way back with Moses, before the people of Israel are being sent into the promised land, as he's kind of, this is Moses' almost swan song. He's saying, listen to the words I have to say for you. These are some of the important things. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 is good. And, or just use a study Bible. I mean, if you have a study Bible, most of them are going to have like some sort of history. They're going to have, like, you're going to be able to look up where the covenants are. So just look through. Our man, Google, what are the covenants in the Bible? We have Google now. It's great. I used it a lot when I was getting ready for this. Uh, so there you go. That's one thing we can do. So that's first thing. Recall God's expectations. Second, we need to understand the history. This is a very important point. Uh, as we need to understand it, since the prophets are they're forth telling a message, so they're speaking to a direct people or a particular people, it's imperative that we understand both to whom and when the prophet is speaking. So if you look at your handout, you will see that I listed the four major and 12 minor prophets in chronological order. I think that could just be something useful, just knowing when are they talking as well as who they are talking to. So we're not going through all that tonight. Take a breath of relief. That's just for your reference. As you come across these things, it's like, okay, who was he talking to and when were they talking? And literally, you can just Google, what were some major world events that happened in, say, B.C. 550 or something like that, right? Uh, now listen, full transparency, I'm not a biblical scholar, Okay. I, there, you're going to see some question marks next to some of those because there are a lot of people that are like, yeah, we don't know exactly when this happened. Uh, so if you find an issue, uh, talk to Caleb and, or, or Ben Mayfield. You know, ben, Ben's doing all that scholarly reading right now. All right, so what's the equipping point here? What's something we can do? What's an actionable step we can do if we're going to look into Scripture? Big thing we can do, a lot of the history that we need to know about the prophets and a lot of the narrative that we need to know about the prophets is recorded in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. So First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and we're going to get into more details as to what that means for Isaiah in just a minute. And again, I'm going to make you practice this here in just a little bit. All right, last thing, and I'm going to take the least time on this because I'm from Kentucky, is we need to consider the literary structure. Uh, okay, good. No one got that joke. The joke is that, listen, in Kentucky, grammar was not required by the educational system. I had to teach my friend what a comma was as a senior in high school. Like, so there we are. So obviously, I'm not great at this. I know you look at me, you're like, man, I'm shocked. He's so good at the grammars. Uh, I'm not. I'm not good at the grammars. Uh, but when we're reading the Old Testament prophecy, it's important to know that most of the time when they're conveying this message, it's in a style of, get this, it's fun, ready? Ancient Hebrew poetry. Yeehaw. And you want to know what ancient Hebrew poetry does? 
they're not concerned with rhyming. Well, sometimes they are, but you want to know what language it's usually in? It's usually in Hebrew. Uh, but most of the time, they're concerned with parallelism. And I'm not going to get into parallelism, but basically instead of saying, hey, this, the end of this phrase is going to rhyme with the end of this phrase, and you have two in the middle, they're going to say the thought of this phrase is going to be repeated again at the thought of this phrase at the end. All right, we're going to, again, we'll look at this more. Uh, now, I want to, uh, this is also, really brief note, speak, I'm, I'm not going to be hating on reading plans all night, just most of the night. Uh, sometimes when we get into our reading plans, that's why they can be confusing. Because they're just going to drop us into the middle of a giant section and we have no idea what's happening. Okay? That's a side note. That one's free. You're welcome. So the equipping point here is you can find really good outlines. One, back to study Bibles. If you have a study Bible, those little sections that you usually skip in the beginning, uh, they have some good like literary breakdowns. And it can just give you, it's like, okay, what is this chunk about? What is this chunk about? Just gives you context. And guess what? Guess what else we can use? It's in your pocket. It's called Google. That's great. Listen, there are some weird literary things out there because it can really describe what the book means. So ask for some guidance from the Spirit. All right. There are the three things. We have an activity for you now. Everyone raise your hand. Everyone, you can do it. I have faith in you. All the way up. I want it up. I don't want Baptist hand raising. I want hands all the way up. I bend at the elbow like this. Good. Now pat yourself on the back because we just got through a really big section in a very little amount of time. So... We're going to take our second step now, right? You're like, that was a big step. The steps, yeah, they're big. So what we need to do is we need to use our newly acquired skills to understand what Isaiah is dealing with. This is going to help lay the groundwork and kind of lay the foundation for why I believe the Spirit wants us to look at chapter 22 for our application tonight. All right, so let's look at Isaiah. So what, all right, pop quiz, what's the first thing we do? Oh, come on. I have faith on it. Looky there. Great. Uh, I just want you all to know that I do have in my notes, pray that an extrovert is in attendance. Uh, so if you don't believe me, I'll show you. Uh, so yeah, I'm not trying to trick you. We're gonna, so let's recall God's expectations to Isaiah. So in short, I believe that God is calling the people of Israel and Judah to trust in him, not other gods, nations, or in their own power. And to support this, uh, if you have a Bible turn, if you have a phone tap, I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15. I didn't make a slide for this because I didn't think to. No. Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15 says this. Now when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give to you a land with large, beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, worship Him, and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God. So that's a little background. This is what I think Isaiah is trying to remind his people about. And it's with this background that Isaiah is pleading with God's people to understand and repent. So, back to the main thesis. Will they trust in the Lord, or will they forget him? 
All right, what's the next thing we need to do? That's right, historical. Man, that was quick. It wasn't even an extrovert that did that for me. Man, won't, won't he do it? All right, wonderful. Good job. So we're going to get some practice now. Y'all ready to do that? Yeah, great, fantastic. I'm so glad to hear it. So we're going to do like a quick group assignment here where we're going to practice this with Isaiah. So how do I want to divide this up? We're going to do like, I have to walk all the way up here. We're going to do like this side forward. You all are side one. Okay, the rest are side two. Side one, side two. And here's where you're going to go. Go ahead and find Second Kings. Second Kings. All of you can find Second Kings. Side one. I want you to go to Second Kings 16, 1 through 9. That's, you're just going to read that. Like, all of you can read it. Discuss what you see. And I want to see what is, like, this is going to set the backdrop for a guy named Ahaz. We need to know what the heck is going on with Ahaz. That's important for our history here. So, we're trying to find out about Ahaz. So, 2 Kings 16, 1 through 9, learn about Ahaz. Side 2, 2 Kings 18, 9 through 12. And side 1, if you're complaining that they have less verses, they have more complicated names. So, and listen, what we're going to see there is what is Hezekiah facing? That's what I want side 2 to see. And that's kind of... Side two is going to be really important for where we are tonight. So side two, what is Hezekiah facing? Take about five minutes, and I'm going to come back to you. Break. All right, let's take time. Let's move. That scare some of you? <laughs> Good. Fear of the Lord is the next pat. No, we're not talking about that just yet. All right, let's start with group one. What did we learn about Ahaz? Is he a great dude? No. What are some things that Ahaz did? He killed his son and sacrificed him to other gods. That's a start. Uh, Anything else? What else did he do? Use the stuff in God's temple as a bribe uh, for Assyria, which is kind of the main enemy of our time and what we're going to be looking at. Uh, Anything else that he did? What are some other things that Ahaz did? No, this is just nine verses. I only gave you nine verses. There's so much more. So he sacrificed his son. He stripped God's temple to give as a bribe to a foreign army. Anything else? Did incenses and sacrifices to other gods in many places. All right, so there's a small sample size of what Isaiah is up against to start kind of his ministry. Now, for the other side of the room, here's a little bit of context for you. Ahaz is Hezekiah's dad. Okay? So what did Ahaz do to one of Hezekiah's brothers? Burned him alive as a sacrifice to another god. So we're not starting off. That's uh, it's not a great place to start. There's a lot of baggage, I think, that comes there. Uh, not the best example to deal with. But what does this passage, on top of that, what does side two, what does this passage say that, eight, that Hezekiah is up against? He's up against potential exile to Assyria, an Assyrian people invading. And here's a little more context. Let me get it a little more real for us. And I want to listen to more answers, but I also want to make sure y'all are out of here before 9 o'clock. Because I'm kind of like that. 
What has happened? Israel has fallen. The Assyrian line, the Assyrian border is now about 30 miles from Jerusalem. There's, what is Hezekiah up against? Well, there's a world superpower that's breathing down his neck. Uh, so let's think about that for a minute. We're going to do a little fun imagery. Let's imagine that Missouri and Kansas are suddenly sovereign nations. Uh, and also for our analogy, we're going to turn them this way, and we're going to have Missouri South and Kansas North. Uh, and that's because the northern tribes didn't fear God, and it's, Kansas is a lawless wasteland. So that's kind of the parallel that we have going here. All right? And here we are held up in the Lord's anointed Kansas City, Missouri. Right? Or we're, just held, we're, all, we're held up there. Now, all of a sudden, Kansas falls. Uh, see, that's what we think at first. Sure, we don't like them. But what standing where KCK used to be? The might of the United States military. And it has its eyes set against us. Yeah, funny situation for us. It is, I get it. But Hezekiah is not laughing here. God has seemingly abandoned half of his chosen people. Assyria's border is 30 miles away. Their king has sent an embassy to negotiate surrender shortly after history tells us that the Assyrians bore down on the city in the lowlands of Judea named Lachish, which that's a fun one to say. They battered down the walls, slaughtered thousands and impaled the bodies of its leaders on the walls. Right after doing that, they send an emissary to say, you should probably surrender. You should probably do like your father did and give us some gold. So there is the context of what we're facing, what is being spoken into by Isaiah. So we have our context, and before we really dive into our passage tonight, it would be helpful for us to consider one more thing, which is the literary structure Uh, One more time, you can look at your sheet for context here. In brief, we can consider Isaiah divided into two really large swaths. Uh, So chapters 1 through 39, and this is written to warn people against covenant unfaithfulness, or they will be overthrown and exiled. And spoiler alert, we have Isaiah who wrote 40 through 66 to a future people who are exiled to Babylon. And he writes this as a message of hope for them. So let's break it down a little bit further. Where are we at? We're in chapters 21 through 23. This is not a standalone thing. This is a larger tapestry of 13 through 27. So this section can be divided into three smaller sections itself. Last week, we looked at one of those sections, 13 through 20. We have the judgment, but the hope for the nations. This week, 21 through 23, it's going to tell us this list again but in a lot more allegorical and poetic form. And then the next section, which Caleb will be covering this next week, will look into the future of the Lord's ultimate judgment, yet ultimate hope for the nations. So called to be faithful by God through Isaiah, what will Hezekiah and the people do? If we simply read the narrative that's given to us in chapters 36 through 39 of Isaiah, or 2 Kings 18 through 20, it seems we have a clear-cut answer. Hezekiah turns to the Lord, and the Lord saves Judea. In chapters 21 through 23, we see Isaiah warning against the prideful self-sufficiency and short-term memory of his people. God has saved Judea from its most pressing outside threat, Assyria, but two more dangerous foes remain, the outside pressure of Babylon 
the inward sin of self-resilience. I'm going to be really quick on this. I'm going to have Caleb go to the next slide. This, I want us to look, as we look at kind of some parallels here. Also, I feel like this is that meme. It's not much, but it's honest work. Like, that's how I feel about this chart. Um, So here we're going to see some parallels between Babylon and Judah. So if you open up, you have your books, open up to 21. We're going to go through these really quick. So let's start with Babylon. So we have a pronouncement against an unnamed nation. We have this nation here is the desert of the sea. They didn't have that heading that said Babylon, so we don't know that yet. The very next thing, we have a worrisome sight. So Isaiah says, man, I see a troubling vision. It's declared to me. Uh, We see the cause of destruction, which is the Lord, right? And verses 2b, we see Isaiah's response, which is of mourning, which is weird for a Babylonian people. He's mourning for them. He's sorrowful. In verses 3 and 4, we see the people's response in Babylon is, we'll have a table, rise up, eat and drink. We'll rejoice. This is fine. We'll be good. And we see, we also see there the improper meal that is held. We see the means of destruction Destruction in verses 2b as well as 6 through 9. We see the nations uh, are finally identified now. And he answered saying, Babylon has fallen, fallen. And then we see who this is from as the Lord of Armies. So that's to Babylon. We expect that, right? Look at 22. Verse 1a. The pronouncement concerning someone who's an unnamed nation, the valley of vision. And then the worrisome sight. What's wrong with you? Why have you gone up to the rooftops? He sees all this stuff happening. What's going on? And we see the cause of destruction. And eight. We see the causes of the Lord. He removed the defenses of Judea. And we see Isaiah's response. Again, it's weeping, it's wailing. But then how do the people of Judea, the ones who are supposed to be faithful and respond in the right way, how do they respond? The same way as the Babylonians. We look, butchering of cattle, slaughtering of sheep and goats, eating meat and drinking wine. And Israel is identified again in 8a. Uh, He says, defenses of Judea. And who has made this pronouncement against them? The Lord of Armies. So there's a little more context for where we're at. And I think we need to look at the names very quickly here. Uh, If we look at the name Desert of the Sea. Man, when I first read that, I was like, what? That makes no sense. Who here read that and you're just like, got it. All right, fantastic. Good. It wasn't just me. So on first read, we're like, okay, that makes no sense. But on... Closer look, how sustaining, how life-sustaining is a desert? It's not. We can say out loud. We can say it's not. That's okay. All right, so how life-giving is the ocean? You're just dropped into the middle of the ocean. Not very life-giving. No, it's not great. Water, water everywhere. Not a drop to drink. So here Isaiah is looking at Babylon, and he says, you are worse than useless. He has some strong words to say to them. But... He's not talking to Babylon. This oracle, he is delivering it to who? It's Jerusalem. Like he's like, okay, yeah, maybe there's some hope. Or maybe there's something worse. Because he knows Hezekiah 
Yes, he'll repent them in the short term, but he'll also instantly invite the Babylonians in and show them every weak point in his palace to try and garner favor with them and establish a relationship. So we have a future telling of this. Now let's look at Valley of Vision. Valley of Vision, okay, I'll be honest. How many of you hear that and you're like, oh, that sounds holy. Like, that's good. Like, I hear the Valley of Vision all the time. You're like, oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, heck, the Banner of Truth has a prayer book called The Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. Uh, Caleb, do you own that book? I use it every morning. There you go. So, if you want to borrow it, I, I don't know, text Caleb, I guess. I don't have that book. Uh, but that is not what we have with Isaiah. Tell me, what can you see in a steep valley? Nothing. Your vision is hindered. So here we have Isaiah telling Judea, you think you see clearly atop Mount Zion, but you stand in a valley of your own making. I think the first caution that we see to Babylon as he compares Israel to them, is trusting in the security of the nations is to have no security at all. And the second caution we see is trusting your own visionary efforts is blindness without the inside of the Lord. So we have all that in mind. So we're going to look at the main text quickly. This is where I'd make a joke about my time starting now. I'm joking. We spent most of our time in context. We're actually wrapping up somewhat shortly. Uh, again, reading plans. I got one more thing for them. Uh, because a lot of times reading plans, they just want to get us to the application. And I say, okay, here's what's good for you. Instead of depositing the Word of God deep in your soul. And I want us to understand what the Lord has for us. So I'm going to read our text tonight that I'm going to focus on, uh, which is 22, 8b, uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and read through 14, which is in this down here, and hopefully I'll be able to get through all of my scribbling. It says this, on that day, you look to the weapons in the house of the forest. Now really quick, house of the forest, I didn't know what that was. I looked it up. This is likely Solomon's armory. So they look to their weapons, Right? And on that day is likely when Babylonians come to invade, when they're getting ready to push them away. On that day, you look in the house of the forest. You saw that there were many breaches in the walls in the city of David. You collected water from the lower pool. You counted the houses of Jerusalem so that you could tear them down to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the walls for the water of the ancient pool. But you did not look to the one who made it. Or consider the one who created it long ago on that day. The Lord God of armies called for weeping and wailing and shaven heads and for the wearing of sackcloth. But look, joy and gladness, butchering of cattle, slaughtering of sheep and goats, eating of meat, drinking of wine, and catch the line of the hedonist. Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The Lord God of armies has directly revealed this to me. Your iniquity will not be wiped out. For you people, as long as you live, the Lord God of armies has spoken. Out of context, it feels harsh. In context, knowing that they're attempting to set up an alliance with Babylon, that they want to trust in their own might, or they don't want to trust in the Lord, we realize that 
They made a deal with the devil instead of a deal with the Lord. And it will pay off. Hezekiah, we learned, trusted in the Lord in the dire moment of the Assyrian attack, but ended up taking pride in his deliverance rather than the deliverer. Second Chronicles 32 tells us that, chapter 32, that Hezekiah became prideful in all that he had done. We hear how many times that the Lord repeats this. You looked at the weapon in the house of the forest. You saw that there were many breaches in the walls of the city of David. You collected water for the pool. You counted the houses of Jerusalem. So you could tear them down and fortify your wall. You made a reservoir between the walls of the ancient pool, which this was an ancient engineering marvel. But the warnings were clear. God's people in Isaiah's day would rather look anywhere instead of the one who created the items that they have formed into idols and gods of their own liking. Going as far to repeat the calls of the hedonists as I have said, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So let's take our last step. That's... We get to sit down after a lot of work. You're like, man, those were some big steps. They might have been a little bigger than you thought they were, and that's okay. Well, here we are. We're sitting with Isaiah. His eyes are red from crying over a people he loves. He's emotionally drained after watching helplessly year after year as they make the wrong decision again and again. Now he looks at you. Brother or sister in Christ, he looks at you and he says, smiles for a moment. He says, so you've seen him too. Once we get past all of these allegories, these historical barriers, messages lost to time, Isaiah has a simple word for us. Will you trust God? Will you turn from him? We're given, I believe that we're giving a warning, a reminder, and a hope in these passages. A warning, a reminder, and a hope. To the one given good things, there's a warning. Again, if we look at Deuteronomy 6, 12 and 14, it says, When you eat and are full, build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart does not become proud and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, a place of slavery. Here's our application for this. When we are given the desires of our heart, we're prone to mold and shape them into our own items of trust and affection, our own idols. Maybe freed from a nagging sin. We look at the better version of ourselves instead of the one holding back the floodgates of temptation and we say, look at my strength. Upon being relieved uh, or revealed something in Scripture by the Holy Spirit, we're prone to say to ourselves or maybe our social media, look what I have learned. Upon being blessed with relationship or resource, We proudly celebrate from the rooftops. Look what I have acquired. So when given good things, will you trust Him? 
for the one waiting faithfully, here's a reminder. It's easy to slump into a valley when we wait on the Lord to answer our request. Sure, you trust Him. And everyone around you, they seem to be getting the things you want. They got a house, their dream job, significant other, popularity, the Super Bowl. There you go, you got it. But He who gives good gifts, He knows what you need and in what due time you need it. Friend, will you, will you trust Him? And the one in the valley, there's hope. This one hit me hard this week. If you, uh, if you know me well, you know that I'm not the most emotionally expressive person, uh, especially when it comes to sorrow. But Isaiah had me weeping a few times this week. Out of the public eye, of course. Well, hopefully I'll maintain that tonight. We'll see. I've told some of you this, but not the full story. Uh, while lying in bed this week, I think what I share with some of you is, man, I was just really wrestling with the Lord had to say to me. It was before I started to write out what I had to say to you, what the Lord would have to say, and I was pleading with the Lord, show me what I am to say. It was at this point that I realized, man, I've been in a season where I have heard very little from the Lord. And I've been doing enough things, I've been staying busy enough, I didn't notice. I began to weep. So I pleaded with the Lord to tell me anything. I knew the passage was about trust. But how can I trust Him when He won't talk to me? I was at the end of my rope. As I am now trying to hold back tears because I thought, I was worried maybe... If I weep, I wouldn't be able to hear him. And when they float, he gave me the words of Isaiah and of Jesus. A bruised reed, I will not break. A smoldering wick, I will not quench. I was in a valley of vision and night fell on me. And nothing but a smoldering wick to light my path. But the one who made the valley also promised to walk through it with me, as he does with you. So you might be in that valley tonight, in the valley of the shadow of death. And he asks, will you trust me? Uh, so I'm going to ask Haley to come back up. Uh, to close us out. And here's what I want us to do. I'm going to set up worship. And I want to set us up to be able to respond and worship. So I ask that you close your eyes, just bow your head. And we're not doing any of those cheesy church things where I have you raise your hand or stand up or any of that. I just, I want you, like me, to have a little bit of time with the Lord. Even if it's in a room with a lot of other people. And first, I want to talk to the one who maybe you felt convicted by Isaiah's warning against self-sufficiency. May the first verse of the song we are going to sing be an encouragement to you. 
Yes, the Lord, He's, he's going to need to topple the kingdoms that you have built up of your own glory. But you can trust the Ancient of Days, for He knows what's good. He sees kingdoms rise and fall. And He sees His kingdom reigning over them all. So maybe you're in the room and you feel like this waiting has no end. Maybe the Lord's forgotten you. Friend, for you is the third verse of the song. You may not see what the future brings. Watch and wait. He who is the overflow of joy will complete the work and His work in you and in all things. Amanda, my friends in the valley, maybe you're with me. The second verse is for you. The dead of night overwhelms your soul. He is here with you. You're not alone. His love is sure, and He knows your name. For your God is the Ancient of Days. Now lastly, there might be someone here who fall, you fall outside of these camps. You don't have an issue trusting the Lord because you don't know Him. For you, I have, I have a warning but like Isaiah, I have an encouragement. Your warning is that the Lord will have His glory. Which you seek to possess for yourself. We all do. He will have it. And He will have it, be it in thankful fellowship with Him or in a ruthless takeover and eternal exile. But oh, the joy that I have to give to you as well. Because the King has come. The one Isaiah saw only visions of has walked among us. His name is Jesus. He extends His righteousness to you, even now. It's in Him that you have access to eternal glory among His courts if you will only trust Him. So let's pray. Father, lift up what you would have lifted up and bring down what you would have brought down. Lord, though I may not see what the future brings, I will watch and wait for you, my King. Lord, would we meet you where you are as you meet us where we are. In the valley, in the plains, or on the mountaintop, find us, encourage us, and give us your word. Spirit, move in this room. Move in this city. It's in the name of your Son, and the power of the Spirit, I pray these things. Amen.